Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing today? Pretty darn good, Scott. How are you doing? Doing wonderful. I am doing wonderful. We've had a, a good weekend, albeit a little bit hot, a little bit on the hot side, but we made it through. How about yours? Uh, good. We're, uh, you know, um, we're expecting a, maybe a side swipe from uh, Idalia, the hurricane coming up out of the Yucatan here. So um, fortunately, we have a couple really astute local weather hawks who who keep an eye out for us. So we'll we'll see. I saw that. And, and I read uh, this morning that it might even uh, hit, uh, well, Category 3 plus, a chance at, at Category 4. Right at Big Bend, yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, we hope that, uh, I guess, not cooler winds or, or probably cooler waters prevails. Probably cooler waters prevail. Very good. That's good right. thought, Scott. Yes. Yes. Um, and before we, we continue on, we're going to say hello to a few folks. Welcome, everybody, to the Buzz here today. We come, come live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time to cover some of the bigger developments and news across global supply chain, global business. So welcome, welcome. But, Greg, I got to point out. Please do. I got to point out your T-shirt. It is the pig. Should I please should I model it? <laughs> you're a bit, you said pre-show, you're big on the pig. Yeah, Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> the source for the best seafood, no kidding, in Hilton Head is this old Piggly Wiggly store that has been around uh, literally for, I think, 60 years. Man. Owned by the same family the entire time. Yes. Um, and... Of course, because this was originally, I mean, when it was settled, most when it was settled traditionally, yeah, whatever you want to call it, as a as a uh, community, um, it was a big shrimping hub. Yes, and so this being the only grocery store has first still still has first position when the shrimp boats and fishing boats come in to get seafood, and it's a cute little if you've ever shopped in a piggly wiggly short yes. ceiling drop ceilings you know really old fashioned um in and in a uh, very touristy kind of mall yes. area but the best seafood in hilton head every single person every single local that i've ever spoken to has said that's where you go for seafood well check it out folks and if you happen to be there Pick up a bowl of shrimp and put it out right right after. I mean, it's like they get it yeah. that morning, bowl it, and put it out. We had a great. They'll do it on request. If you go in there and say, hey, I need 10 pounds of boiled shrimp, they'll do it. I mean, it okay. might take them 30 minutes or whatever. But, you know, I don't know if people know this. Boiling shrimp is ideally done for about 30 seconds. And you know if the shrimp is overboiled, if the shells are hard to get off. How about that? Hmm? See, y'all show up for global supply chain and you get uh, some culinary tips. Everything from... is supply chain. Everything <laughs> That's is supply right. chain. Don't mess with our food, right? All right. So, folks, welcome in here today. Uh, again, we got a, a great episode of the Supply Chain Buzz. Again, join us every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. And, and if you're listening, folks, hmm. uh, hopefully you're not only listening, hopefully you're engaging. So everyone in the cheap seats over in the comments, we want to hear from you as we tackle these four or five stories here today. And if you're listening to the podcast replay, which would typically drop the Friday following the Monday, Greg, what would you encourage our listeners of the replay to do? Well, I would say first, check it out on, on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I am stunned, Scott, at how many people consume this on YouTube. But wherever you get your podcasts, if you don't need to see Scott's beautiful face, <laughs> um, yeah, anywhere you get your, your podcast, but especially YouTube. And join us live. Join us live on the Monday and, and bring yeah. comments and participate. Send a friend, would you? I mean, I think <laughs> don't you think more people ought to be oh. learning this? Like, look, look at Gino. Gino also knows the pig. Yes. There's a special angel food cake mix. You can only get there. <laughs> man, we're going to get... not know that, Gene. Thanks, man. <laughs> Gino, thank you for bringing the hard... Is it good? Is it good? It's special. 
Yeah, it must be a really good one. Gino, of course, is in North Alabama, uh, where he said there the pig is a staple in their community. I want to go scroll back up to the top and welcome. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to say Dr. Velasco. Uh, Ennio, yeah. great to have you here from Boston. We're talking about great seafood. Man, Boston's a, a seafood capital in the world, isn't it, Greg? It's the best in the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Ennio, ask, tell me if Greg nailed that. Accent. More like a main accent. Sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry. Muhammad tuned in from Egypt via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Uh, Akina. Pretty good fishing community there <laughs> as right. well. Egypt, right? That is right. Uh, Akina from Nigeria via LinkedIn. Wonderful. Great to see you here. Claudia from Montreal via LinkedIn. Great to see you, Claudia. Smoked meat sandwich is the specialty. I mean, kind okay. of fast foodie specialty in Montreal. Delicious. I'm going to have Delicious. to check that out. St. Catherine Street. Um, Japheth. I came close, maybe. If I get his name wrong, my apologies. What was that, Greg? Japheth. Japheth. Thank you. Um, from Malawi via LinkedIn. Great to see you here. Of course, my mom, Leah Luton from Aiken South Kakalaki is Got here that with one. us. <laughs> that's kind of- We were just talking about your mom, Vicky. That's was right. Just mentioning your mom. Your ears were burning. Marat yes. She should from- have a picture, by the way, because <laughs> Vicky said, Scott's mom is so pretty. Oh, man. Vicky, Vicky, Vicky. Very nice. Uh, and, and Marat from uh, Istanbul. Great to see you. Uh, Dr. Velasco says, Scott, you may ruffle a shirt like Greg's wearing. So <laughs> I try not to ruffle any feathers or any shirts. Uh, and finally, finally, and I can hit everybody here, Eric from Greg's backyard. Hey. Uh, he's stalking <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tell him, hey, Eric, make sure that the yard guys, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Eric, w- welcome. And welcome everyone yeah. else. I know we could hit everybody. Great to have everyone here. I want to share, as always, as we, we start the buzz in earnest, as we get past culinary and storms and you name it, we want to share some resources, right? We want to share some re- resources with all of y'all. Now, this was neat, Greg, over the weekend to boldly explore and do good. We were mm-hmm. celebrating, um, of course, India's incredible feats related to its space program. And kind of on the heels of that, we dove in and, and talked about some of the um, the developments on Earth that mm-hmm. space programs have given us that a lot of folks may or may not know. And I'm, so I'm just going to walk through a couple of these. And folks, you can check out the link and read it for yourself. Cordless power tools, right? Tim Toolman Taylor probably is really yeah. happy with that. Water. What's that, Greg? Sorry, that was Tim. Oh. <laughs> Water purification systems, all from NASA digital image sensors. Cloud computing. There's a case to be made. Uh, fire-resistant materials, as you might expect. Insulin pumps. And while NASA did not develop solar cell technology, you could argue that they kept it alive to the point now it's being used you know, globally. Greg, you're quick. Well, I think you're overlooking perhaps the greatest invention for the for the space program, yes. Velcro, which is how they kept the tools from floating around the, the cabin. That while is right. Not being used. Yep. Uh, that is such a great call out. Well, you know what? To Greg's point, there's a litany of things that yep. a lot of, I think a lot of folks, when they think of space, it's like, why are we investing all that money there? It really pays off big dividends on so many different levels. And again, I want to wrap this segment by encouraging folks not only to check out with that said, but big high five to all of our friends across India. Uh, you, you inspire the rest of us. Yeah. And Greg, we love seeing the celebrations in the streets and everywhere across India. Wasn't that cool? Yeah, yeah, very cool. Very cool. It's it's great to have, you know, it, it had become kind of blasé in the States where you almost didn't even, most people didn't even know we were doing a launch. But I remember as a kid when it was still really interesting and a big moment for us as America. And I think India is where we were then. So that is, that's awesome to see. It really is. Really is big things to come. Um, Okay. Speaking of resources, also want to share tomorrow, Greg and I've got a wonderful live stream with our friend, Alexia Smith with dispatch. Now, Greg, we're going to be diving into all sorts of different ways to uh, proven ways to optimize final mile. But one of the things I'm looking forward to with our discussion is dispatch has been ranked time and time again um, as one of the best places to work um, by a variety of different surveys and polls and awards. And man, these days, creating an outstanding place for your team to work and thrive in is so critical. But we're going to talk about a lot tomorrow. Greg, your thoughts on tomorrow's live event? You know, final mile is the biggest challenge in 
direct to consumer or any kind of e-commerce because I mean there are all kinds of unique experiences in getting that to the final mile. I mean, I've lived in Kansas. Mm. Right. That final mile in Kansas is about a hundred miles in some places, <laughs> seriously. And you know, I, I live on an island now. So I mean, there are all kinds of unique situations like that. Hilltop communities, right? That's all right. kinds of things that are really challenging. So the more you can diversify in that area, the better off you are in being able to meet that customer expectation, which now is a day or two, mm. right? And mm. I got to tell you, um, you know, when we go back and forth between Atlanta and Hilton Head, there's always something that needs done, right? And you've just landed wherever you are and, and you just instinctively go buy it on on the web and just expect it in the next couple of days. Mm. So uh and it works. It really is impressive how well it works. So um agreed. More than we deserve. So many ways to get there. I think, you know, some of these alternative companies to the big carriers, it's a it's a huge opportunity. And we're about to talk to talk about some conditions that some of the big carriers that might make this a risk management. Uh, methodology for you. Very nice uh, first half of that segue. And I'll finish it with speaking of final mile as mm -hmm. we move into our first story here on the supply chain buzz. Hey, according to our friends at Supply Chain Dive, outstanding uh, resource over there, cargo bikes are getting bigger in New York City. Now, Greg, physically bigger, Scott, or just kidding. <laughs> for years, New York City officials have been looking for practical ways to get a handle on truck traffic as well as find ways to practically decrease emissions. Now, in 2019, all of this led to a commercial cargo bike pilot program that the city conducted with in partnership with UPS, FedEx, Amazon, and DHL. Now, the pilot has gone so well, Greg, that city officials want to make the cargo bikes bigger kind of interesting at least in my view so currently cargo bikes are limited to 36 inches wide and only three wheels but taking a page out of the european playbook a new rule has been proposed allowing the cargo bikes to become more like cargo golf carts allowing for 48 inches wide and a fourth wheel uh, a virtual public hearing has been scheduled by new york city's department of transportation for mid-september before uh, they vote the rule in or out. Greg, love to get your thoughts here. Well, have you ever driven New York City streets? I mean, <laughs> if you have half a brain, you, your answer should be no, but I have. <laughs> <laughs> foolishly, foolishly, I have done that. It is incredibly frustrating, um, even in the morning, because, you know, they have to load in all the restaurants and things every day and these kind of packages, you know, there's an entire bicycle company built around the bikes that messengers, they're called bike messengers, the bike that these bike messengers use. Right. And so it's become a big culture. So something like this is really powerful there, beneficial, necessary, because there are enough hindrances to traffic in, in the city. Um, you sure don't need a bunch of big trucks going around. If you, in, if you can, in any case, avoid it. Right? right. There are some situations where you can't, but if you can't avoid it, you should. And I am a big proponent of the fourth wheel because sharp corners, um, you know, on ice or other slick surfaces, that third wheel is a, it's a real liability. So that fourth wheel I think is important if they can make it practical by making those things bigger, I, I say, go for it. Yep. Well, uh, they're talking about how they're going to have to widen the all the bike lanes that exist throughout New York City will have to widen those as well. So we shall see. So we still get to use the bike lanes? Oh, I did not. Oh, I see. Yes, yeah. now I get it. How about okay. that? And they can also use these things, can also use, as uh, as article uh, shares, uh, the loading zones that are usually typically reserved for you know trucks and, and, and cargo vans, all that stuff. They get to tap in all those two those things as well. Loading zones. That's laughable. Any any east west street on Manhattan might as well just be a loading zone from like <laughs> seven o'clock to ten o'clock in the morning. I mean, they're all one lane yes. and one truck. And and then and on the one ways, it's one truck on this side at this intersection and one truck on that side before you get to the next intersection. So you're weaving through uh, I I mean, I'd love to hear a New Yorker's comment on this. 
Yes, please. Uh, it would likely be profane and deservedly so. Right. So, folks, if you've driven, if you're in New York City now and you want to uh, comment about the traffic, or uh, if you've driven as Greg has, and I, I, we relied on Ubers last time we went last summer as a family of five. Only way to do it. Yeah, I yeah. didn't drive anywhere. It was great. Um, hey, get this. Raquel says the bikes look great, but how about some tinted windows? That's a Darn good point. Skippy. Yeah, some spinners. I think <laughs> anything. Make them uh, look cool. Like Caddyshack. Uh, Steve says, I first saw these cargo bikes in India. Rickshaws, they caught them. It's a good yeah. call out, Steve. Good call out. Rickshaws. There's another term that I forgot. They use them in, they use them for the same thing in Zurich, in Switzerland, in a lot of European cities now, too. Um, okay. Oh, gosh, I cannot remember what it's called. Well, we will see if someone can rescue your uh, vocabulary. What do they call yeah. them? In what country was that, Greg? Switzerland. Switzerland. Well, I mean, it, it it's from another Asian country that they they took the the term idea from. Yeah. Gotcha. All right, so folks, we'll see that as the jury's out and they propose these bigger uh, cargo what will be uh, cargo carts. Maybe uh, let's move on to the second story, Greg. I tell you, it has been the year we had a guest, I believe, um, could have been Mike Griswold. The year, the year of the workforce. Uh, someone, someone coined it. Um, yeah, that and was Mike. Mike. Yeah. So it's certainly been the year of workforce negotiations, uh, workforce troubles, you name it. Now, as Reuters reports, this is going to continue because the United Auto Workers Labor Union has now voted overwhelmingly, as you might expect, to authorize strikes at the Detroit Big Three. The current four-year contract, labor contract, expires on September 14th between the UAW and General Motors Ford Motor Company and Stellantis. Now, we're talking 150,000 workers total, so not quite the, I can't remember what the total was for the UPS that was recently settled, but there's a lot more. Um, UAW President Sean Fain is demanding several things, Greg, including 46% wage hikes and an end to the tiered wage system that pays veteran employees more than new hires. Now, industry analysts give the strike a 50-50 shot of happening, very technical technical analysis there now man it's just as we are seeing actual cars and trucks greg on dealerships and their lots around the country potential disruption ahead your thoughts um as you <laughs> as uh, usual the unions are half a century behind um mm. All they're going to do is assure that these jobs are automated if the, i know that they have to put an extreme value out there to get what they want this is such an old-fashioned backwards ass way of negotiating and i'm frankly frustrated by it it's it's a shame that we can't be authentic mm. right and I, I think i think even the the automotive companies are more capable of being authentic than these unions but these unions have to make these grand gestures kind of like politicians largely lies and you know to <laughs> to um whatever to win the favor of their of their constituency and to justify the exorbitant fees that these people people pay to these unions to get them these periodic upl uplifts but all this is going to do I, I mean this is my great fear i can't say that this is definite probably definite <laughs> this is my great fear is that just imagine we raise we raise wages 46% what do you think companies are going to do? Do you think they're going to keep paying people who they can't count on a hundred percent? I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the workers, but workers are humans and humans are, are fallible, right? That may not show up for work, may not do their work in, you know, in a, um, optimal fashion, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things that you have to worry about with, with, with human beings that you don't have to worry about with a robot. Mm. Right. And now you're paying 46%. That makes a much better economic case for automation. I mean, I think this, these kind of threats lead to the loss of my job, mm. right. Or the exporting it overseas, which now is not very popular and right. frankly a little bit dangerous, but, um, that's my biggest concern. Will they get it? I doubt it. Will they get some of it? Probably Will the auto workers or, or sorry, will the uh, automotive companies or have they already started to provision for these wage uplifts? Yeah. Absolutely. And 
all this will do is I think accelerate the move towards automation. This is my great concern. So once you get your 46% uplift in wages, start training for another job because mm. yours won't be around for very long. Greg, uh, as excellent commentary. Now, two things, two things. Y'all check out the article because in the article to represent both sides, uh, the union says they have uh, given up and given up and given up for for two decades. And this is, they're trying to put it into that by reclaiming some of that. That's what the report says. And then secondly, to Greg's point, I want to, I want to largely agree with him because a deal is going to get done. Right. And it may be another, another four year deal, but Mm -hmm. to Greg's point, the big three and beyond their supply base will use these four years to find uh, expedited automation approach. So they're not in the same position or at least not as bad of a position four years from now. Greg, I'll give you the final word here before we uh, continue on. Yeah. So like many cities in Atlanta, I've lived in Detroit um, and I have a lot of empathy for the auto workers and for, and, you know, for years they really earned their money. Now I'm not saying that they don't earn their money, but I don't think anybody anywhere ever on the planet in the history of man has ever earned a 46% (laughs) wage hike. Mm. And the truth is if the unions have, have, given for years and now expect to be to get this great leap forward they are ignoring the fact that they are working against economics because economics are fact right Mm. they are truth and you can't work against that what what the economics are telling us is that you know these jobs aren't worth 46 percent more or aren't worth whatever i mean just like anything right at some point people won't pay 13 dollars for a dozen eggs right Right. They'll stop buying eggs or they'll <laughs> right or they'll right. wait for the price to go down, which is what most of us did. Um, so I think we have to understand that there are forces outside of any any um, what do I want to say? Uh, nefarious right. or even altruistic forces out there. They're just forces like economics that that produce a certain reality. And you can't push against that reality at some point. Yeah, so excellent point. The, the, I mean, the world economics, economic truth is is telling you the story. Yep. So, forty six percent unlikely if they get it. It might be just to allow the automakers to go and and focus on this automation initiative, which will largely eliminate any production job and and leave only the specialty jobs. Right. I imagine their target is 20% and they're jumping out with uh, more than double as they negotiate. But uh, 20% is huge. Yeah. I mean, agreed. Oh, agreed. Um, but you just, your your first comment there about um, how no one in the history of humankind is worth the 46%. It reminded me back when I was in, I think I was in high school, Greg, and our local council, county council, voted for themselves to have a 100% pay increase. Mm-hmm. And I was beside myself. And uh, my mom gave me a box of my stuff here recently. And I wrote a letter. This is, of course, long before email to several of the council members. And some of them defended and sent me back responses. And the logic was, as you might imagine, ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So we, <laughs> so, but man, back in the day, um, but Folks, we'll keep our finger on the pulse. Uh, hopefully, we can find some common ground, as always, here, and we'll see what happens. Um, all right. I want to go back to a couple of comments here. I'm going to go back, and somebody somebody nailed that um, other vehicle that I was talking about. By yes. The was it oh, the, uh, tuk-tuk. the Tuk-Tuk? Okay. I wonder who that is. Uh, uh, so, Amanda, Catherine, bet, first yeah. off, thank you for making production happen. If, if you know who yeah. that LinkedIn user is, let us know. Enio says cargo bikes are also in Indonesia beaches. Big Going back to the first time, story. big time. Yeah. yeah. Raquel got a kick out of your spinners comment there. And she also says the strike is really bad timing and the demands are a little high. I agree. I with know you. that little is tongue in cheek, Raquel. Thank you. Right. you. You are not wrong. <laughs> Sylvia says, whilst Sylvia, you are a very proper communicator. Whilst yeah, others, she says, English. <laughs> don't even get a 4.6% wage increase. A 46% increase is deadly. Remember 2008. We're about to be remembering it. Yes. Yeah, no kidding. And and probably not a good way. And by the way, that was Pablo. Pablo came through with the tuk-tuk. Yeah, thank you, Pablo. That's Great to have you here with us. Pablo Gata. Yep. So we're going to take a quick break. 
Greg, because we're all about resources here. We've got two, we've got a slew of upcoming live events, and we want to make sure we put this on y'all's radar. Speaking of last, last mile, last mile delivery, and all the inherent new and old challenges related to that, coming up on September 21st, hard to believe we're almost in September, we're going to be featuring Luke, Pat, and Bart to talk about unlocking the power of diversification in last mile delivery. Quick comment from you, Greg. Well, I mean, we just talked about the merits of last mile. I think every opportunity you can get to learn more about last mile, do it. Mm. Um, even if even if just as a consumer, it's important to know how companies are accomplishing this because you can evaluate their reliability, frankly. Right. I mean, um, you know, we, we have this, um, this spirits brand, right? This yeah. non-alcoholic spirits brand, free spirit. Yep. And... Um, you know, we're uh, raising funding right now and we have a ton of companies who are in traditional industries, wine and spirits, yep. who are really interested in in what we're doing because we made such a great splash in e-commerce and direct to consumer. And, um, and that has been a really, really big challenge. I have a very good friend who has invested in a ton of companies there. He calls DTC a wasteland. And that's because the cost of customer acquisition vis-a-vis things like um, Facebook ads and various ads like that, they yeah. become very, very prohibitive. And you have to start to economize not, not only on how you acquire customers, but how you deliver to those customers in order to make it a profitable enterprise. Mm. So, you know, if you're out there and you've got a, a personal brand or a direct-to-consumer brand or just an e-commerce site, even if you're just one of those drop shippers, it's helpful to know who, whoever is moving your goods for you, right. it's helpful to know what your alternatives are and the costs and reliability trade-offs thereof. Well said, Greg. Opportunities to diversify, to find more success with Last Mile Delivery. Join us on September 21st for that live session, folks. No recorded webinars. These are live, so bring your voice, bring your pack of turkey sandwich, and come join us. <laughs> Uh, then we've got, <laughs> as Greg, and Greg, who knows, maybe part of what you're sharing might be relevant for this conversation as well, because on the 26th of September, got a really unique conversation teed up. Three proven strategies to level up your business with the dynamo that is Walmart. And I would argue, Greg, that if you can be really successful with working with Walmart, man, you've got all kinds of universal takeaways you can apply to other relationships. Your thoughts, Greg? No one, no one in the world is more organized more um, demanding, and I would argue more partnering than Walmart. I can't believe I'm saying that, Scott. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we just we just had this experience at Free Spirits where we went to Bentonville. I didn't personally go, but the CEO yeah. and our head of sales went. Um, and unbelievable what they can do for you with a snap of a finger. I mean, they quadrupled the business in a meeting. And wow. that's both uh, that's both an exciting and <laughs> horrifying horrifying thought at the same time because you're like, are we ready for this? Right. Yes. But, they, but as long as you as long as you communicate these things and you're realistic with them, they go, okay, we'll make it over the next two years and give you time to get there. Right. I love it. But and so the point of that is if you can learn anything from how Walmart conducts business in general. And especially how they tie directly tie merchandising and product management into supply chain. It is seamless for them. Take the opportunity to learn that. And that's, that's right. what this, this next one is about. Folks, we've got links to both of those webinars, uh, those live webinars in the chat. Check it out. And hey, uh, if you register and you can't make it last minute because you're saving global supply chains, hey, no worries. You'll get the recording uh, probably same day. Uh, so y'all check that out. Um, okay. I was about, oh, one last thing here before we move to our mm -hmm. third story. Greg, as I was sharing, me and Amanda had the wonderful opportunity of, of breaking bread with Tanya Jackson with Lexmark uh, Saturday morning in, in Atlanta, in the Highlands at uh, Murphy's, which is still Ooh. 20 years after my first visit there. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Breakfast and lunch there. Outstanding. Oh, <laughs> I'll eat it all. But we were talking about our consumer experiences and some of the lessons we learned as supply chain practitioners. And Tanya is a big, I mean, Walmart is just so captivating. I, I find, I don't know about you, Greg, I find where Walmart is today. Do you remember about five years ago, probably as we were having some of our first conversations here, 
Amazon was like in the every conversation. It was just fascinating and practitioners and consumers alike want to focus there. Personally, I find that to be where Walmart is today because of how they have not only caught up, but in many ways, I would argue, not in all, but in many ways, they're setting the bar, uh, doing some really cool things. And Amanda, I cannot remember the program that you and Tanya were talking about that really just hit it out of the park for consumer experience. Maybe Amanda will drop that in the chat. But really, Walmart, kudos to what they're doing and how they're moving mountains in a real way that impacts our experience as consumers. Greg, your final word? No question. I mean, I am a, whatever, whatever they call it now, a W plus member because because I'm cheap. Okay. And my <laughs> one of my cards pays me back for being a member. Okay. Uh, but the benefit is incredible. It's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like prime. Actually it is like prime. You get some TV channels and all kinds of stuff there. Huh. Um, Walmart plus that's what Amanda's yeah. just confirmed. Is okay. Called? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Walmart plus. Um, and, um, and I, I would argue that except for in e-commerce, they have always been ahead of Amazon because yeah. they were doing what was called CPFR right? Collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment. They were doing that back in the nineties and they were bringing their vendors in to share data with them so that they could service them better. And, um, that was quite the storm in supply chain in the nineties, late, mid, late nineties. Um, and, and they have really taken it to the next level. They've got, you know, new tools that they share with suppliers and that sort of thing. But you're right. I, I think the only place you could even argue Walmart was ever behind was in e-commerce. And, you know, they might be catching up or caught up with oh, Amazon. Man. I don't know. But they are an unstoppable force. And I can't believe we're saying this. I think back to literally decades and decades ago when people, people didn't want Walmarts in their, in their neighborhood. Right. right. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I would argue that they are they are in first place because they are the best and everyone every single retailer copies them as goes walmart so goes retail (laughs) man it's part of the walmart team you all feel really good uh and speaking of their team man (laughs) they have they have tripled down (laughs) quadrupled down on 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 going after talent and bringing them in from all from from all the competitors Right. Uh, it's really been an interesting thing to watch. So, Greg, I look forward to more of your uh, the team, the board's experiences as they um, they had those conversations with uh, Walmart. OK, so, Greg, this is going to there's, there's a lot of common themes between these conversations we're having here today. And we are talking next. We're talking about Tyson. Now, this is an interesting story. So Tyson is closing half a dozen chicken processing sites in four states unfortunately laying off about 4,600 workers. Now this, as American demand for chicken, seems to not be waning at all, just getting stronger and stronger. In the bigger picture, Greg, a little background here, U.S. chicken consumption surpassed beef, uh, beef, not beef, beef in 1993 and never looked back. And in 2023, Americans are forecasted to eat over 100 pounds of chicken on average, not in one meal, compared to only less than 60 pounds of beef. In recent months, though, uh, as we've fought through these inflationary times, retailers and their executives like Costco, analyst call, have been reporting that its customers are choosing even more chicken and pork over beef uh, due to uh, inflation concerns and other things. And here's a little, that's right. Now get this, Greg, this is an interesting factoid. Popeye's, which is one of the makers of absolutely delicious fried chicken, Greg, did you know it's tripled its sales over the last five years, undoubtedly spurred uh, spurred on by the chicken sandwich wars, which every restaurant seems like they have jumped in. So on the whole, the entire poultry industry has been hit, of course, in terms of challenges with the avian flu outbreak, uh, of course, increasing grain prices for um, a variety of different fa- uh, reasons, including, unfortunately, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But Tyson in particular lost 417 million bucks last quarter. And as it closes these six older plants, it is opening at least two new plants, which I bet will leverage a lot more automation as a company has committed to investing over a billion dollars in automation, which they announced back in 2021. So Greg, uh, your thoughts on this development at Tyson and its move forward. Well, Tyson, Tyson is ruthlessly efficient. And, um, some of these were, 
um, older, highly manual plants with highly, relatively highly paid workers relative right. to automation. You're right. This is a very circular discussion, right? isn't it? As wages go up, automation becomes more and more palatable, yeah. right? More and more necessary, frankly. So I think that um, Tyson would never put themselves in a position to not be able to fulfill demand. They are, as I said, ruthlessly efficient heavy on the ruthless part. Yes. Um, um, I mean, we saw some of the actions that they took early on in the p- pandemic when, you know, saying something was going to kill their business, which of course you can't kill Tyson. You can only injure them for a short while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think um, this is a, um, this is a harbinger of things to come. Right. Right. As companies must get more efficient at higher and higher wages, which is all wages have been doing over the last two, two and a half years. So, um, batten down the hatches workers, Mm. right. Get your Mm. skills up. Right. And, and if you're in a production job, uh, man, you better be the best at it. That's all I got to say. And I I can't believe I have to say this, but in the office is going to be better than the out of the office. Someone whose work you can't see and is difficult to quantify um, is a lot easier to let go. And, and, um, this, I mean, we're not philosophizing here, gang. I mean, we hear from a lot of companies that are making their hiring, firing staff reductions, what they call riff decisions based on the most productive and the most engaged and engaged now includes back to the office in a lot of cases for some of these companies. Yeah. Well said, Greg, whenever Greg, uses the word gang in his commentary, you better listen twice as hard because it's usually (laughs) it's goodness there. Uh, A lot of truth there. And of course, um, one thing I'll call out uh, and I'll get, there's a couple of comments here, but um, Tyson is, seems like they're doing the right thing with these 4,600 workers. They're uh, bringing them job fairs and they're trying to connect with other employers or even, I think, I think I read they're even paying for like Uber fare to get these workers to different places to help them find jobs. So, and I think it's important to note, not only Greg, as you know, uh, and these 4,600 folks, unfortunately are hit, but I mean, suppliers, communities are devastated, you know, uh, because these are such, I, I think they're often in very small towns, these plants, right? Like 30, one of these communities, it was like 30% of the, of the, uh, the workforce, the County workforce, was, Reminds um, you of the furniture days in and the and the uh, millinery days, the linen linen factories right. and whatnot in in the Carolinas, right? That's right. Yep. Uh, in fact, also Mack Truck had a big plant in Fairfield County, just just uh, north of uh, Columbia, where my aunt and uncle lived. And man, when Mack Truck went through a lot of stuff, it it really impacted a bunch of folks. Uh, yeah. Gino, yes, they were older plants. As my understanding, those six plants shut down, and some of them, if not all of them were older plants they had acquired from uh, competitors and whatnot. Mm. Um, yes. Can he eat more chicken? Great to see you here. Uh, I love chicken. Do you like chicken, Scott? <laughs> yes. I eat chicken like nobody's business. Well, you Greg. know, I was, bro- I was brought up in the Midwest, so you were brought up probably more on chicken than I was. I was brought up on beef big time, right? Eat more beef. <laughs> you didn't even have to say that in Kansas. Right. It was just assumed. It's what's but for I dinner. I love chicken. I don't know. I I mean, it is just, it, it can be flavored anyway. I don't know. I love it. I do too. I'm with you. I mean, you're making me hungry. Uh, let's see here. A couple of quick I comments. Before I came on. So. <laughs> Kenny also says automation is no longer a choice, but necessity. Kenny, well. Preach that, brother. That is sad. It, it, it is at these rates, at these labor rates. I mean, it comes down strictly to productivity, right? That's right. Uh, Sylvia, be engaged and visible. Well said, Greg. I agree. Steve says, get your skills up. So true, Greg. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, and Thanks, Gino guys. also says, all fresh processors are looking at how to do the same. You know, Greg, that's a great hmm. comment, uh, Gino. Greg, when Tyson first, as I recall, first made that announcement about automation, we mm-hmm. we covered, it was, a, it was in the Wall Street Journal, and we we talked about it on the buzz. And as I remember one of their aims, one of their many aims was how they can get that yield up um, for, for less bucks. And some of the dangerous, as you know, some of those processing jobs are so dangerous and so many workers get hurt. Um, 
So we'll see how this continues to evolve. Uh, I hope the 4,600 folks certainly find new opportunities and um, uh, we'll go forward. Um, all right. So, Greg. This is a great country, damn it. What's right? This is a great country. They will yes. find. That's I, right. I, you know, I mean, I, I come from a, a town where as went the aircraft industry, so went the entire city of Wichita, Kansas. Right. And it became one of the most entrepreneurial cities, people starting gigs in that industry and other industries just to survive. That's right. Right. And um, I, honestly, I was raised on that spirit. And if a city like Wichita, who could literally lose 40% of its workforce just like that, yep. if, if a city like Wichita can do it, I think, you know, just about anywhere can. I'm with you. And that's a great story. We, you know, we're going to have to, we need to, um, it's been a while since we kind of did a deep dive in, in Wichita. We need to, um, we need to visit Wichita and get some of that story because they, it's pretty incredible. Some of the cool things going on in Wichita now. You've been talking to my mother, haven't you? Visit Wichita. <laughs> Not since. I'm doing that um, <laughs> next week. So, yeah. Uh... I'll be in Wichita, Kansas for three days. <laughs> Gina says poultry and processors very, and all processors are very resilient. You are right. Uh, uh, Greg Raquel says the people make it great, but sadly our politicians dot, dot, dot. I think we all know oh, what man. dot, Ra dot, dot means. Yeah. Raquel, don't give me some, give me started. On <laughs> Seriously. Poultry. It'll be on fire around here, but Raquel, Hey, welcome. Raquel's making yeah, it. I like her day. commentary. Yeah, I do too. Everybody is on fire today. I got to wonder if Kenny is, you know, he's talking about this topic. So yes. I wonder if Kenny is one of the Cargills or Maybe. if that's just coincidental. You okay. know? I don't know. We'll Cargill have to check is it out. a huge, I mean, obviously a huge processor, right? And really big in Wichita for sure. One, I'm glad you mentioned Wichita. One more comment here. This is from yeah. Catherine. Catherine says that series title of sharing these, these, uh, the Phoenix story from Wichita should be entitled Witching Hour in Wichita, the story of the airplane industry taking flight. Oh, oh Catherine, man. just in time for Halloween. Love it. All right. One more departure, Greg, before we hit our fourth yes. story here today. Uh, if we haven't made you hungry yet, mm. I want to make you hungry. Check this out. So over the weekend, Greg, we went old oh, school. We broke out the our charcoal uh, grill. And we spent about three hours grilling these baby back ribs, me and Ben, my son, Ben. And we fought the heat. We fought the flies. We fought the rain. Um, the crepe myrtles were, were letting go of their flowers into our barbecue sauce. We were fighting all of it, but it was worth it, Greg, because these things were delicious. So as I was diving into this Tyson story and looking at the beef and the pork and the chicken industries, yep. man, it just made me hungry. I'm going to have to eat, eat. We had four ribs left over from two racks, Greg. The whole wow. family of five. How about that? That's pretty strong. That's a pretty strong, yeah, that's a pretty strong entry right there. All right. <laughs> so I get the blue ribbon from uh, the judge, Greg White. Those look fantastic. They really yeah. do look fantastic. Man, you you know, you put anything on a rib <laughs> to a kid from Kansas, and <laughs> it looks uh, delicious. Man, okay. That, no, that, that looks, those are great. Well, we're going to get together. We'll do some uh, of that. Any secrets or or any open secrets that you can share regarding your rub or sauce or how yeah. you did it? Uh, I, I'll, I'll share one. So I'm, we are, we are of the minority probably in the rib eating population. I don't like it falling off the bone. I like a little tug on the rib, right? So we're in okay. the, we're in the very small. Um, and so to do that, but beyond the rub, we, we, we uh, put them on charcoal grill. We cook them really, we cook them fast. You've heard some folks putting ribs on for like, overnight and rest yeah. of the day not yep. here we cook them uh fast and with rub with sauce and they got some tug on it and you know some some of these um uh when you get it right when you really get it right even after the meat's gone you're not done yet because you, you're getting every morsel so no yep. no big secret other than finding some good help i can envision it yeah <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about okay good and the, so the no big secret there but you do want to do it with good company and with some good help. And Ben did a great job over the weekend. So more, more stories to come, maybe from the uh, the charcoal grill uh, weekend uh, adventures here at Luton Household. Nothing more satisfying than eating that meal that you just cooked and mm. then taking your shower. Oh man! Right? <laughs> and in this in this 127 degree heat, Greg, <laughs> right on a charcoal grill, I think yeah. I lost 12 pounds. 
Well, uh, there you go. Not man. many people can say that when they eat ribs. <laughs> uh, let's see here. You asked Kenny something. If he was ate one of the Cargills. Ah. And he said no affiliation. Apparently. Okay. That's a shame because that would be a nice little check every year, wouldn't it? It would. And to, to folks, to y'all listening, Kenny Cargill is one of our commenters on the live show here today. I was thinking not of Cargill. I was thinking of uh, uh, what was the name of the uh, Kenny Rogers uh, chain of chicken restaurants, like Kenny Roasters or something like that, Greg. Kenny Rogers on Roasters, yeah. 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 Uh, that's, that's what I was thinking of. You were Kenny. thinking Kenny. I, see, I go immediately to Cargill because gotcha. Wichita, Kansas. Yes, yes, yes. Kenny Rogers Roasters. Kenny Rogers Roasters. That that was uh, it uh, flamed out fast. Uh, it was delicious. Yeah. Well, did you have their chicken? I never did. Yeah. Well, if you had, you'd know why. <laughs> okay. All right. We're gonna keep driving, folks. We got. We're gonna take a big, hard right turn because we're gonna talk about semiconductors after all this food discussion here today. Now, Greg, as reported by our friends at the Wall Street Journal, and folks, if you aren't getting the logistics report from the Wall Street Journal, you're missing out. It's a really uh, comprehensive, great read. It comes out every weekday morning about 7 a.m. Eastern time. Anyway, the NVIDIA team is breaking growth records left and right, thanks in part, Greg, to, of course, all this interest in AI, right? Now, this chip designer and provider, because they don't make chips at NVIDIA, set a new quarterly revenue record in the most recently completed quarter, doubling sales year over year, making NVIDIA a trillion-dollar company. Man, NVIDIA placed bets on AI for more than a decade, and man, is it paying off now. Its advanced chips are behind or powering a variety of popular AI tools rolled out by companies such as OpenAI, Google, Microsoft, and others. Speaking of politicians, I didn't know that uh, our politicians knew about ChatGBT, Greg, but we'll save that for another, another time. Um, one analyst claims that NVIDIA has cornered about 70% of the AI chip market. Now, important to note, as I mentioned, all the success despite the fact that NVIDIA doesn't make its chips. It designs them and then outsources production to companies like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. The U.S. government, of course, has limited NVIDIA's ability to sell its most advanced chips to China, which I find that to be intriguing given you know the relationship with TSMC and NVIDIA, even that more intriguing given that. Of course, NVIDIA's supplier's ability, as we all know, to ramp up production is going to be critical so they can lock in these gains and build on them. In an industry that we uh, we've seen struggle at times, especially in the last three or four years. So, Greg, when it comes to what Nvidia is doing right, um, or this, or their growth and their success, what's some of your thoughts that come to mind? Well, this is mostly stock hype. It's not really growth yet in any in the company yet. Mm. As can happen with stock hype, people betting the come line, meaning betting on the future, right? Benefits to come, and it's overhyped but that doesn't change the fact that that um that nvidia is doing great things and they're well positioned they're not any, particularly any more well positioned better positioned than uh, a lot of other t chip makers like tsmc but um but you know it's a hot stock right now and this mm. is one of those kind of mythical run-ups it'll come back um, but that doesn't really mean anything for the company. That's just, you know, what people, what multiple of their revenues or sales or profits that people are willing to pay right now in speculation, um, uh, you know, around the company, this happens all the time. It's happened to chip companies before. Yeah. Um, I think there are a lot of hurdles uh, around the world for chip manufacturing. The most important being that, China is in charge of somewhere, depending on where you get your stats, somewhere between 85 and 95% of all of mm. um, the rare earth uh, elements and or other production ne necessities of all chips all around the planet. And that it appears that cumulatively there aren't enough stores or the will to destroy enough earth to collect those rare earth elements from mm. elsewhere around the world. Russia might do it. They've got a lot of wasteland that um, they they might if they find you know if they find the initiative could uh, get some of these elements. But we're get already getting a lot of pushback, mostly from me, because the <laughs> crap whole countries that they are 
doing this in, one of which happens to be my uh, heritage homeland of Argentina. So um, eventually we're going to run out of third world holes to um, mm. to take know, advantage to, of. Yeah, to take advantage of. Frankly, yeah, you're right. That's great. Thank you for saying that. Uh, imperialistic oppressor. Um, <laughs> and these are bad. And by the way, these are bad things, of course, is what Greg's pointing out. Yeah, they are. And, yeah. and, and we are unwilling to do it in our own country, except in some very, very small remote places. And we, you know, so it, it's a substantial constriction to the ability to produce. Yeah. So I don't know, honestly, don't know, because you'd have to really study this. I'm sure there are people out there that do know, and I'd love to hear from them that as to how you resolve this um, without literally pulling the crust off of the Earth's surface all over the Earth. Um, you know, one one means that I know they are aware of and working on is that there are <clears throat> the ability to synthesize some materials that they found in meteors, meteorites that have actually hit the planet that can produce the same magnetic and other qualities that are nece necessary for these semiconductors. So I would hope that we start going down that path. Yeah. Um, because in, in Chile, which by the way is right across the Andes from Argentina also being destroyed. And, and it, Chile, I think as a proportion of the nation at a much, much higher level, um, it's, it's a travesty to look at some of these hillsides and mm. see them just being pulled apart. Yep. So, I mean, there's all kinds of mining being done in both of these countries, but, and right. others. Yep. Um, anyway. I just want to call out, there's, you know, it, it's a recurring theme, right? Big countries with tons of leverage taking advantage of smaller countries that are trying to find ways of, of making economic advances and, and leveraging the resources they have. And to Greg's point, man, some of the mining practices and the before and the after, it's just devastation and then when when i think about greg as we've talked about time you know uh, endlessly here is you know the battery demand on based on you know consumers buying um you know, ev and you name it you name it how many you know these batteries are lithium batteries are going into everything uh we've got to find to your point a more sustainable way of of driving and fueling innovation so we shall see um hey i want to wrap though greg on uh, a fallacy I have, because uh, you know I'm a big space nerd, you, and it, you just reminded me because you talked wow. about the asteroids and the, and um, you know where because there's there's one out there maybe several but there's one in particular that's been in the news that's supposed to have like trillions multi trillions of resources I can't remember the name of it but of course being able to even remotely come up with an idea of trying you know to mine these asteroids. I don't know. Maybe the next generation can do it. But um, going back to this picture, this kind of this retro image we used for with that set, right? Dig it, by the way, I meant to comment on that. That's a very cool. Isn't image. it cool? Yeah. Um. So you know the rocket ship, the, that vertical rocket ship that that we see so much now. I gotta admit, Greg, as a kid, and I don't know if the space shuttle really, you know, because that was in my uh, you know kid of the '80s and early '90s. That was that made a big lasting impact, you know. And of course, the space shuttle took off vertically, but landed like a plane. When I would you see the old shows, the fifties and sixties of rockets that would land, would take off and land vertically, I'm like, well, that that would that just doesn't happen like that, you know. Modern technology is it's going to look a lot different. And then, of course, fast forward to 2023, Greg, and we've got we've got SpaceX and all the cutting edge private sector uh, space companies. That's what their aircraft do, just like this image. They take off vertically and it lands vertically. And even with, with um, autonomous ships that will catch them as their, their launching pad, it is yep. it's amazing what's taking place. And Greg, I would just, as we wrap here, I would argue that this is, this is, um, this is going to be a big taking off point of what's to come when it comes to uh, space exploration. And of course the space supply chain, the game is changing. The game is changing and it's a matter of time. And I, I find that to be so exciting, especially when I think of those challenges that we were just speaking up on that fourth, that fourth story with, um, you know, mis misusing and abusing earth. We got to go out and find new solutions to old and current problems. Your final word there, Greg. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think that the answers are out there somewhere. And we're out there, so there's plenty of opportunity for us to do it. I don't think that the answer is to go and colonize Mars, by the mm. way. 
if we're going to put bubbles over everything anyway, because the atmosphere has gone to hell in a handbasket, right? Why not do it here? Mm. I mean, if we can do that on a hostile planet, why can't we put, why can't we create a contained atmosphere on a planet where we know what the atmosphere needs to look like to right. support life and growth? So I would argue that. Now, part of the argument, by the way, as I was reminded this morning in watching an old video, um, is that they argue that the Earth's going to get hit by a, a meteorite meteor and be vaporized, which is probably going to happen at some point. But is, are we more likely, Scott, and you as the space nerd, I'm dying to ask you this question, and I'm going to give you about two minutes to answer it. <laughs> are we more likely to be hit by an, a meteor than, than Mars? Undoubtedly. Uh, Why and, is that? Uh, I, I, I think it's a mix. So I am, I am not quantum math or an astrophysicist or what have you, but I think it's, it's when you look at uh, overall probabilities, it's based on where we are in the solar system and, and, and a variety okay. of other reasons. But Greg, going back to your first point there, you know, and, and not, not even Mars, but th this is why it's such a big deal with India and, and becoming the fourth country to, to land spacecraft on the moon. We over, maybe we underestimated just how complex it is to get to back to the moon. It's why it's been so long. And um, this Artemis program right. that, um, that we're, you know, getting close to launching in mission 11 or 12, it is basically establishing a moon base and a fully functioning, you know, earth lunar supply chain and community. Up. I mean, it is, it is so it's next generation stuff. Mm -hmm. And Greg, we'll see to your point, it maybe the answer isn't going to colonize Mars, but what I'm excited about is what we will learn, like we started on the front end, about everything we've benefited from NASA and from space programs around the globe and how it's really fueled innovation here. Man, we're going to need some big, um, bodacious, big, hairy, audacious ideas yep. to figure out these challenges we have. And I think one of the places that we'll get solutions from is from our space programming. I think you need to, I think you need to register as a trademark. Get out there. Get out because that. I mean, I think you nailed it. That is, mm. that's the answer is get out there. I mean, mm. it's, it's the same as when, you know, um, people were trying to find the edge of the planet. Think about that. Mm, right. right. And when people were trying to find what was at the poles, which is not a wall, you crazy <laughs> QAnon loonies. Um, <laughs> oh, you never know what's going to come up. Uh, uh -oh. Reminds but, me of the you know, I mean, show. as we try to explore these these unknowns, yes. right? The next unknown, truly the next unknown is off the planet. I find myself less and less enthralled by all the things on the planet. They are very, very few and far between now because you can see everything mm. out there on a video somewhere. And it somehow seems less pioneering when you do it than when we were kids, Scott, and everything was a mystery. Yes. Right? And an adventure. And that's yeah. what we need more of. Yeah, um, agreed. Beautiful thoughts there, Greg. I appreciate that. Uh, hey, everybody. We have approached and have come to the end of our time here today, but really have enjoyed what a wonderful crowd and smart comments. And if you stuck around through this weaving, I mean, we did tie it back together, people. Right. So for anyone who says they stopped listening at like 16 minutes, tell them to try to get to the end because we brought it all back together. We have. That is right. And as Steve says, it's not a wall. It's not a wall. <laughs> that reminded me of the Truman Show. A uh, lot of good stuff there. All right, folks. But you can, you can, hey, join us every week. Uh, so the Supply Chain Buzz, again, 12 noon Eastern time every Monday. We tackle some of the leading developments across global news. And the best part beyond what Greg shares here, which I get, always get a kick out of, of course, we've got guest co-hosts and, yeah. and, you know, uh, guest practitioners you know, last week, Greg, we had uh, the fearless supply chain leader at First Watch who, man, she was a dynamo. Um, uh, Layla, Layla with First Watch, she was a dynamo. Yeah. And by the way, if you haven't eaten at First Watch, yeah. it's good it stuff. Is. Yeah, it good is. Good stuff. It is. The comments from the smartest, the smartest audience around in the, in the known universe. So y'all right. make it worth our while. And uh, we appreciate all the feedback we get. Okay, Greg. Uh, Always a pleasure. Big thanks again Likewise. to Catherine and Amanda behind the scenes. Greg, you're on fire here today. Careful because your hair might be on fire. You brought it as always. <laughs> hey, uh, but oh, uh, <laughs> you got through me off of that, Greg. Hey, folks, whatever you do, 
whatever you do. This is a very real challenge here. We, yes, as indeed. we were talking on at the end, man, we got problems abound. Uh, problems they're they're everywhere, new and old. And we got to find new ways of of putting them to bed, right, and making sure they don't come back. So to that end, it's all about taking action. Hopefully, you found something here today that you can. Put into action because it's all about deeds, not words. And to that end, on behalf of our entire team here at Sapacha, now Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change that is needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Sapache Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.